A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Jesus said to his disciples, A rich man had a steward who was reported to him for squandering his property. He summoned him and said, What is this I hear about you? Prepare a full account of your stewardship, because you can no longer be my steward. The steward said to himself, What shall I do, that now that my master is taking the position of steward away from me, I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I shall do, so that when I am removed from the stewardship, they may welcome me into their homes. He called in his master's debtors, one by one. To the first he said, How much do you owe my master? He replied, One hundred measures of olive oil. He said to him, Here is your promissory note. Sit down and quickly write one for fifty. Then to another the steward said, And you, how much do you owe? He replied, One hundred cores of wheat. The steward said to him, Here is your promissory note. Write one for eighty. And the master commended that dishonest steward for acting prudently. For the children of this world are more prudent in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. I tell you, make friends for yourselves with dishonest wealth, so that when it fails, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. The person who is trustworthy in very small matters is also trustworthy in great ones, and the person who is dishonest in very small matters is also dishonest in great ones. If, therefore, you are not trustworthy with dishonest wealth, who will trust you with true wealth? If you are not trustworthy with what belongs to another, who will give you what is yours? No servant can serve two masters. He will either hate one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. The Gospel of the Lord. Many years ago, when I was just a young priest, I had a wedding at St. Paul of the Cross Monastery in Detroit. A few days later, I got a call from the Archdiocese of Detroit. Someone had reported that I had invited everyone to take communion at the wedding. I was called in to meet with the Archbishop. We don't have an open table, y'all come, but neither do we have a closed table. As St. John Paul II wrote in his encyclical Ut Unum Sint, quote, It is a source of joy to note that Catholic ministers are able, in certain particular cases, to administer the sacraments of the Eucharist, penance, and anointing of the sick to Christians who are not in full communion with the Catholic Church, but who greatly desire to receive these sacraments, freely request them, and manifest the faith in which the Catholic Church professes with regard to these sacraments. End quote. I don't remember the entire conversation, but at one point, the Archbishop posed different cases and asked whether I would welcome this or that person to communion. In each case, I assured him that I would. Finally, somewhat exasperated, he said, You're pretty generous. 
To which I replied, Thank you. The Eucharist is a gift of God, freely given. I have learned, however, to be more careful in how I phrase the invitation to communion. My experience with the Archbishop has given me a window into the story about the steward, who was reported for squandering his master's property. Last Sunday, Luke used this same word in the story about the man who had two sons. The younger son squandered his property in dissolute living. The story Jesus told in Luke 8 about the sower who went out to sow seed sounds an awful lot like squandering. Some seed fell on the footpath and was trampled underfoot or eaten by birds. The seed on the rocky ground as well as the seed that fell among the thorns never had a chance. But some of the seed fell on good ground where it produced a hundredfold. Both of Luke's squanderers are scattering generously or carelessly and acting as if what belongs to whom is irrelevant. At the end of the parable of the two sons, the father tells the elder son, My son, you are here with me always. Everything I have is yours. In today's parable, we have a steward who seems to regard all that his master has as his own. The steward realizes that generosity is the best investment. He gets himself out of a hole by building social capital. It is irrelevant, apparently, that he gives away what does not belong to him. By reducing their indebtedness, the steward is making the debtors socially indebted to him, and therefore he will be able to drop by for free meals. More importantly, the steward has been treated generously by the master since he was only fired instead of being more severely punished. The steward spends his master's generosity. The debtors, of course, were not aware that the steward had been fired, so they presume he still represents the master. If the master renounces the action of the steward and demands full payment of the debts, he will lose honor, both for reneging on a deal made by his agent and for not properly controlling the actions of his agent. On the other hand, if he accepts the actions of his agent he will gain honor for his generosity in forgiving a portion of the debts. The master shrewdly opts for increasing his honor and publicly praises his steward for his action. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28, Paul states, We know that all things work together for good. Is it really true that all things work together for good? We can hardly imagine that God could even use the bad things we do for good. Perhaps God does not care as much as we do about dividing humankind into good and bad, righteous and unrighteous. Last Sunday's gospel began, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. In Jesus, God has forgiven our debts So we are free to do the same. The dishonest steward whom Jesus commends did just that. He forgave debts. He forgave things he had no right to forgive. He forgives for all the wrong reasons, for personal gain and to compensate for past misconduct. But that's the decisive action he undertakes to redeem himself from a difficult position, 
one in which it seemed he couldn't be reconciled either to the master or to the debtors. It is a moral of great emphasis for Luke. Forgive. Forgive it all. Forgive it now. Forgive it for any reason you want or for no reason at all. Luke's version of the Lord's Prayer uses these words in the sixth petition. Forgive us our sins as we forgive the monetary debts, it's clear in the Greek, of our debtors. Why forgive someone who sinned against us? Or against our sense of what is obviously right? We don't have to do it out of love for the other person, if we're not there yet. We could forgive the other person because of that whole business of what we pray in Jesus' name every Sunday morning, and because we know we'd like forgiveness ourselves. Or we could forgive because we've experienced what we're like as unforgiving people. Or we could forgive because we think it will improve our odds of winning the lottery. It boils down to the same thing. Deluded or sane, selfish or unselfish, there's no bad reason to forgive. Extending the kind of grace God shows us in every possible arena, financially and moral, can only put us more deeply in touch with God's grace. How much do you owe me? How much do you owe my master? I can't remember.